Now, if you were here last week, we began our series Epic, and we're showing a little clip of an epic movie every week. E.T. was certainly epic, right? And uh, if you were here, we talked about the fact that when God created man, he created man in a relationship with himself for a relationship with himself. In other words, when God created mankind, when he breathed into Adam's nostrils and, and, and he gave him the breath of life, right? If he didn't create Adam outside of a relationship. It said, hey, once you've earned the right to be in a relationship, you can be in a relationship with me. Or when you've done enough where you deserve to be in a relationship with me, then we're gonna have a relationship. He said, I am creating you in a relationship for me, for a relationship with me. And that's how it began. And this is what kind of blows our mind. To think about God and Adam and Eve, they had this incredible relationship going on. There was no church. There was no Bible. There was no prayer book. There was no tradition. There was no Sunday the way we think of Sundays, you know. There, were, there weren't even any rules. That's my favorite part. I was telling Laura this week, we were traveling. I said, you are such a rule keeper. See, I'm not. And I like the idea of not having any rules. There was only one rule. Don't eat of that tree, right? That was all there was. But in that environment, there was this perfect relationship between God and man, and there was no fear of rejection. Now think about this. It was set up that way because that's the way God wanted it. It was pure relationship. It was no routine, no ritual, no religion, no rules, just pure relationship. But as we're going to see this weekend, as man is so capable of doing, we screwed it up. We screwed it up. By the way, because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden, uh, you may not know this, but this is why you feel the way so many of you feel this weekend. Because going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when, when, the, when the relationship was broken between God and man, when it was messed up, it was, it was as if a plug was pulled deep inside of us, and now there's like a hole in our soul. And that's why there's 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 sense of discontentment. There's this, this sense of dissatisfaction. There's kind of this sense that we can never quite be fulfilled, you know. And if some of you are honest, you know that hole exists in your soul, and you spend a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money trying to plug that hole, you know. You've gone to school, you've gone to seminars, you've read books, you've tried to get faster and better and smarter and richer and maybe more attractive. You've done everything humanly possible to try to fill that hole, that void in your soul. But in spite of all your efforts, you know when you still go to bed at night, there's no peace. And then a lot of us, you know, we try to fill that hole with religion. Some of you, you've been to hundreds of churches and you've listened to thousands of sermons and you've read hundreds and thousands of books, right? You've done all the stuff that all the religious people around you told you to do, but yet there's still no sense of peace. There's no real sense of fulfillment in your life. And it's because religion, and this is what we're learning, and, and routine and ritual and rules, you know, they can't fill the hole. They can't fill that void in our life any more than a new wife will or a new car, right? You know, eventually the, the, the nice smell wears off. Not your wife, the car, okay? <laughs> if you, the nice smell wears off your wife, you get her to the doctor, all right? But you know, the car is like, wow, it's just, now it's just a car. And, and again, there's that, there, there's that sense of dissatisfaction. Now this weekend, we're gonna talk about the story where the relationship between God and man broke down, and it's, it's actually gonna give us some insight into why we feel the way we do and why we struggle the way we do in our relationship with God. Uh, but before we get there, let me just say something about relationships. Let me give you a principle about relationships. Relationships cannot be forced. H have you ever known someone and they decided they were gonna be your best friend? And you weren't, you weren't there yet, but they decided. In fact, they were gonna carry the relationship. I mean, they texted you, called you, emailed you, Facebooked you. I mean, they did everything they could to build this relationship. They decided they were gonna be your best friend. You hadn't decided you were gonna be their best friend. 
but you, but you kind of felt the, you know, like you needed to respond to the relationship somehow. Although you, you looked at them like, I don't even know if I like them. We don't seem to have anything in common, but they are determined to be your best friend, right? It's kind of a weird situation. Or maybe you got a job and the person that hired you, once they hired you, they decided they were going to be your best friend. So every day at the end of work, say, hey, what do you want to do? You want to go out? You want to get a drink? You want to go hang out somewhere? You know? or, or maybe you're married, and they're like, hey, let's get our spouses together on the weekend. Let's go out to dinner. And you're afraid to say no because, man, your future of the company could depend on how you respond to this person, whether you're in a relationship or not, right? And you're like, man, I don't really like you at work. I, I know I won't like you outside of work, but there's this tension going on. My point is simply this. If there's really going to be a relationship, a true relationship, a real relationship between two individuals, both people have to freely choose to enter into that relationship. Well, you need to know in the same way, for there to be an authentic relationship between man and God, God had to give man the freedom to choose or reject God. And my guess is in eternity past, when God made that decision, the angels in heaven were going, whoa, 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 hang on just a second. Let's think this through, God, because if you give man the freedom to reject you, you're basically giving them the power to create unimaginable evil. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And we live with the consequences of that decision. We, we live with the consequences of the evil that man has created every day of our lives. But in spite of that, in spite of the fact that God knew that man would abuse the gift of freedom, guess what? God decided he was going to give it to us anyway. Why would he do that? Why would he give us the gift of freedom knowing that we're going to abuse this gift that he's going to give us? It's because that's how much God values authentic relationship. And, and, and even though he realized the disastrous potential of giving us this freedom of choice, he gave it to us anyway. He said, I'm going to give you the choice. You can choose to accept me and have a relationship with me, or you can choose to reject me and not have a relationship with me. By the way, let me just say this, the risk that God took. We take the same risk whenever we decide to have a child, or maybe you decide to adopt a child. I mean, when that child arrives on the scene, right, there is incredible love for that child, but with that incredible love also comes the potential for unimaginable pain and turmoil. But you know what? Nobody thinks about that negative potential when they're thinking about having a child, right? Nobody thinks, you know, well, this, you know what? Let's think about this before we have this child. They could die. That would be painful. Or, you know what? They could go prodigal on us. Or they could, they could end up doing drugs. Or they could bring us unimaginable pain. You know what? It's probably better that we don't have kids. See, we don't think that way. I mean, I guess there's some people who think that way. But you know what? Most of us decided when we were trying to decide, are we going to have children? Are we going to adopt? Are we going to start a family? We decided, you know what? It's worth the risk. It's worth the potential joy that can come out of that relationship. Well, in many ways, God had the same dilemma. And God basically said, I'm going to give them freedom because that's how much I value the relationship. I think it's worth the risk. So God gave man, think about this, God gave man the opportunity not to choose him because God knew that's the only possible way there could be an authentic relationship. Two people freely choosing to enter into the relationship. By the way, people love to ask, and I think they love to ask it because it just, you know, it just paralyzes most Christians. If there is a God, why is there so much pain and evil in the world? I mean, how many times have you heard that question, you know, from your unbelieving friends? And they love to say that because we have a tendency as Christians not to know the answer. So we kind of fall down the floor of the fetal position, start sucking our thumb. I don't know, just go away, leave me alone. No, don't ask me any more questions, right? Why is there so much pain and evil and suffering in the world if there is a God? Well, let me tell you something. God could very easily stop all the pain and evil in the world. He could just say, everybody line up and turn in your freedom card. 
To which we respond, well, wait a second. <laughs> God, I don't want to give up my freedom. I just want you to take their freedom away from them. Their freedom to plunder and steal and murder and rape. Their, their, take away their freedom to drink and drive. Take away their freedom to run through a stop sign and hit my child. Take away their freedom, God, you know, to do all kind of bad things and break all kind of laws. My, my point is this. Most of us, let's be honest, we're not willing to give up our freedom of choice. In fact, my guess is none of us probably would. And, and as much as we want to blame God, now you need to know this, as much as we want to blame God for all of the evil in the world, you got to understand this. God did not create evil. But he did create the potential for evil when he gave us what we prize most, and that is our freedom to choose. Now, we're going to look at the story in the Bible this weekend where man had the choice, and they were faced with a decision, and unfortunately, they made the wrong choice. It's the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, the story is found in Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bible, turn there. By the way, as you're turning, let me just say this. Some of you think, oh, Adam and Eve. Some of you think this story is a myth, and I'll tell you why you think it's a myth. 10, 15, 20 years ago, when you were a freshman in college, you had some pot-smoking professor stand up and tell you that it was a myth and told you that the Bible wasn't true and that there was no God and that every civilization has some form of this story like Adam and Eve, and you cannot, you'd have to be an idiot to really base your life on two naked people hanging out in a garden and by eating a piece of fruit, determine the destiny of the human race, right? And you're like, oh, why did I ever believe this? And my parents took me to church, and they told me it was the truth, and it's not true. And I was like, uh, it's just a myth, right? Let me tell you why I believe this story really happened. I believe the story of Adam and Eve really happened because Jesus believed it happened. I mean, all you have to do is read the Gospels. Jesus talked about Adam and Eve as if they were real people. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 19, he bases an argument on Adam and Eve. Would Jesus do that on a couple of mythical people? If you, here's the best one. Go to Luke chapter 3. You know those genealogies in the Bible? So-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so. We, we never read them, right? We skip right over that and go to the real stuff. Go to Luke chapter 3 and read the genealogy. Guess who is in the lineage of Jesus? Adam. Jesus is related to Adam. He traces his roots all the way back to Adam. So I believe that Adam and Eve were real people. And since Jesus was the one who predicted his, his death and resurrection and pulled it off, I'm, I'm just going to side with him. I'm pretty sure your college professor never did that. I doubt he ever died and came back to life. I doubt he ever performed any miracles, to be honest with you, right? And be honest. You don't base anything else in life on something a nutty professor your freshman year of college told you. You don't base anything else on that. So I believe the story of Adam and Eve is true. And I know that's way too simple for many of you. That's just tough. You know, I was a PAP major. I'm simple. And I'm just going to go with the guy who rose from the dead. You stick with your college professor. We'll see how it all works out in the end, okay? Now, Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, and by the way, I was listening to Jason's message. He preached on Genesis 3 back in the summer. And uh, he made an interesting statement. He says, anytime a snake speaks to you, it's a good time to run. It's just going to be a bad day if you hang around and have that conversation, right? So anyway, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we, well, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. By the way, God never said that. God said, don't eat from it. I think they could have played catch with the fruit. I don't, juggled it. I don't think God really cared. He said, don't eat of it, right? He said, if you do it, you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, you got to understand, you may want to mark this verse if you have your Bible. This was the lie. This was the lie that destroyed intimacy between God and man. Basically, what Satan said was this. God has a secret. God's got a hidden agenda. God's holding out on you. In other words, there's some really, really cool stuff out there that God doesn't want you to experience. And if you stick with God, you stick with the God plan. If you stick with the God program, you are going to miss out, and you're going to get to the end of your life, and you're going to look back, and you're going to have all kinds of regret. Now, this is what's said. Here we sit thousands of years later, and every day of our lives, we are tempted to believe the very same lie. For example, if you wait till you get married to have sex, you're going to miss out. Forget what God said. You're going to miss out. Or here's one. If you run your business the way God wants you to run your business, you're going to miss out. Or if you handle your finances the way God wants you to handle your finances, you're going to miss out. Or, or, or if as a Christian, you decide I'm only going to marry another Christian the way the Bible teaches, well, then you're just going to miss out. Or if you decide to stay in that marriage, even though you're not happy, if you decide to stay in that marriage, you're going to miss out. you got to understand, that is the big lie. It started in the Garden of Eden, and Satan has been going with it ever since. By the way, it's because of this lie we withhold areas of our life from God. It's because there are certain things we think, if I do it God's way, I'm going to miss out. So this is an area of my life where I'm just not going to trust God. This is an area where I'm going to do it on my own because basically I think I'm smarter than God when it comes to this. I'll give you one, and this is going to offend you, and you probably won't come back, but that's okay. Finances. The Bible clearly teaches, as a Christian, and Christians, you guys have been in church, you've heard this for years, that 10%, the top 10% goes back into the kingdom of God. And I believe it's your tie to the local church, and I'll, I'll prove it some other time. Everything above that's an offering. I mean, you just follow the teaching. There's no reason to think that it changed. In fact, it probably should go up when you get to the New Testament because we're under grace. But it's a very clear biblical principle. But you know what we think? Hmm, wow. I don't know if I can trust God on this one. Because if I do that, oh, that, that might change my lifestyle. Or I might not be able to have that beach house. Or I might not be able to do this. And it's true. You know what? You may not. But what you got to decide is this. If you do life God's way, will you be happier than trying to do it your way? You won't know till you trust him. Some of you, you're in a relationship with someone who's not a Christian. The Bible very clearly states you should not marry someone who's not a Christian. In fact, it's not just that. You shouldn't even have a business partner who's not a believer. You're going to have different values. You're going to see things differently. The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with those who are unbelievers. This is old school teaching. You feel like you're back in the Baptist church right now, right? But that's kind of, that's kind of some of the stuff that you know, the Bible teaches, right? And you're like, well, wait a second. That guy that I'm engaged to, he's not a Christian. But, well, man, I tell you what, that just seems old school. And how can I trust God and break it off? Because what if another guy doesn't come around? See, do you trust God enough to say, I can't do this, I can't marry an unbeliever, and I'm going to have to trust that either God will bring somebody else around or God will make me happier as a single than I would be married to an unbeliever? This is what I don't want you to miss. It was that kind of thinking 
It was that lie that destroyed intimacy with God, that destroyed the relationship with God. And see, it's because intimacy and trust go hand in hand. Yeah? If, if I can't trust Laura, it is going to affect every area of our relationship. If Laura can't trust me, it's going to affect every area of our relationship. We're not going to be completely open. We're not going to be completely honest. We're not going to be completely transparent. We're going to keep secrets. And there goes our intimacy because trust and intimacy, they go hand in hand. It is no different when it comes to our relationship with God. If I withhold certain areas of my life from God, if I don't trust him in certain areas of my life, I'm telling you, there's not going to be this tight, intimate relationship. Adam and Eve fell for the lie that God was holding out on them, that God couldn't be trusted. By the way, every time I find myself struggling with God over an issue, maybe it's, maybe it's something that God wants me to do, and I'm like, I'm not sure I want to do it because I'm afraid of the what ifs. I don't know all the answers. I got more questions than I have answers. So God, I'm not so sure I want to do this. Or maybe it's something God wants me to change or stop doing. And I'm like, well, I don't know. If, can I be happy if I change? Can I be happy if I stop doing that, right? Do you know what it really boils down to? God, I'm afraid if I do what you want me to do, I just might miss out on something. You know what the bottom line is, though? I don't trust God. I mean, we can phrase it, frame it any way we want to. I just don't trust that God knows what is best for me. Yeah, I know he created the universe and everything. I'm just not sure he can handle my life, right? And some of you, you would punch somebody in the nose if they said God didn't create the universe. You say, are you kidding me? He put the stars in place. He keeps the planets in orbit. But I don't know if he can handle my finances because that's pretty complicated. And I got a lot of money and I'm not sure if he's a very good accountant and I don't know how well he counts. And so I better take care of my finances and do it my way. Or I'm not sure he can handle this relationship. This is what it boils down to. It all boils down to the fact we don't trust God. And a lack of trust in God cripples, destroys our intimacy with God. But understand, the issue isn't what we want to hold on to. That's not the issue. That's not what's at stake. What's at stake is intimacy with God. And that's why we can be very, very religious. We can come to church every week, may serve somewhere, give a little bit of money, read the Bible, and we can still feel very disconnected from God. Do you know why? Because we're still areas of our life we're holding out on God. There's still areas of our life where we're not trusting God. By the way, Adam and Eve discovered there was some truth to what Satan said. I mean, there were some things they were missing out by sticking to the God program, but what they were missing out on, they weren't good things. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. By the way, this phrase is interesting. Who was with her? See, I always thought growing up when I heard this story that Adam was off, you know, playing with a chimpanzee somewhere in the garden. He's like, ooh, I mean, he's right there like an idiot. You know, I mean, she's naked. What do you expect? But anyway, they're hanging out there, you know. Right there with her, and he ate it. And lo and behold, the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized. It means they learned. They gained insight. They were like, wow. Oh, there are some things we didn't know about. There are some things we never felt before. There are these things that we've never experienced. That mean old God, he's been holding out on us. Verse 7. And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Do you know what they'd been missing out this entire time because of mean old God? They had been missing out on shame. They had never had that feeling, never had that experience. So they covered themselves. By the way, you know what shame is? Shame is when you feel so bad about yourself, you're just uncomfortable with other people. That's what shame is. 
They'd never had that feeling. Why? It was because they had been in an environment of complete trust, complete transparency. They were fully known, no fear of rejection whatsoever. And then suddenly, shame and guilt's introduced into the equation. Look at what happened in verse 8. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid, well, that's something new. They hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. The Lord God called to man, where are you? God's not walking through the garden. Omnipotent, omniscient, I got it all together. God say, Adam, where are you? He's not looking under bushes and behind trees. Literally, this is what it says in the Hebrew. Adam, why are you where you are? Why are you hiding from me? He says, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Ooh, there's another first. Never been fearful before. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I mean, my point is, there was some truth to what Satan said. When Adam and Eve broke intimacy with God, they, they discovered, yeah, there were all kinds of things that God had been keeping from them. It wasn't because he was mean old God, it was because he loved them. It's because he wanted to be in a relationship with them. So he's trying to protect them. But it gets worse. Look at verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you, God, put here. Took a rib. You remember that, God? You put her here. All right. And Adam did what all of us do all the time. He was the first person to say, you know what, God? The reason I'm having trouble in my life is you. If you hadn't created her, I would just be fine. But look at the mess I'm in now. So all of a sudden, God who created Adam in his image, all of a sudden, God is somebody to hide from. God is somebody to be afraid of. God is somebody to blame. Now God is responsible for everything that's going wrong. By the way, I've never heard anybody say this. I've never heard anybody say, you know what the problem with the world is? It's the freedom of man. Never heard that. Everybody says the problem with the world is God. Everybody blames God. Nobody ever says, man, I wish God would take away our freedom of choice so there wouldn't be any more pain and evil and suffering in the world. Never heard that. And it's because we're all suffering from the fallout of Adam and Eve's decision, you know. And so just like Adam and Eve, we, we follow suit. God, this, this is your fault, you know. Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent probably implied you created, caught me off guard, deceived me, and I ate. I mean, nobody is responsible for anything. It's everybody else's fault. That sound familiar? You ever feel like that around your house? You got teenagers, right? You know what I'm saying? And it was all because there was something they thought they might miss out on if they did life God's way. But I want you to see God's response in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So he takes this animal right in front of Adam and Eve. What do you think went through their minds as they watched? They've never seen blood before. Death, foreign concept. And, and God takes this innocent animal and he kills the animal, and he skins the animal right in front of them, and then he takes the skin of the animal, and he covers their nakedness. He covers their shame. And it was as if to say this. In order for your shame to be covered, in order for your wrongdoing to be atoned for, an innocent party is going to have 
to absorb the penalty that is rightfully yours. And what we know now is it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. It was like a preview of a coming attraction in our epic story of God. And it's at this point in the story that God introduces something for the very first time to mankind. He introduces grace. It's as if God said, you know what? Boy, you guys screwed up. But I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. I'm going to give you something I would be totally justified in not giving you. I'm going to, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to extend grace to you. And as we continue in the series over the next couple of weeks, really you're going to see this, that, that it's, it's all about grace. It's, it's about God extending to us what we don't deserve. It's about God deciding to give to us what we could never earn so that we could be in that relationship with him. Now I want to wrap this up by going back to something that, that, that I said earlier, and it's this. If there is an area in your life where you refuse to trust God, you're, you're holding back from God. God, I can't trust you with this area. This is the one area I'm not going to do what you say. I'm just going to tell you something. That's the thing he's going after. He's coming after it. You know why? Here's the principle. It's not what you're holding on to that's the problem. It's not the thing that you're clinging and you so don't want to let go that's the problem. It's what it represents. And do you know what it represents to God? It represents a barrier to intimacy. It represents a barrier to the relationship. And he will not give up on his agenda, if you were here last weekend, to know and to be known without fear of rejection. So he's not going to give up on that. So whatever it is, your job, your money, your kids, your education, your relationship, your future, whatever it is that you're sure, not sure you can trust God with, I'm telling you, that's the thing he's coming after. And it's not because he's a bully. And it's not because he's mean old God. And it's not because he's mad at you. It's because he's after an intimate relationship. And that area where you don't trust him, that's a barrier. And he will not stop his pursuit. He will come after you. And, and here's where we get confused. Don't, don't miss this. The reason we don't want to give up what we're holding on to is because, we see, we think the issue is the value of what we're holding on to. Oh, this is so precious. This is so valuable. I don't even know if I can trust God with it. That's not the issue. The issue for us is the very same issue as in the Garden of Eden. The issue is this, very simple principle. Can God be trusted? At the end of the day, you can frame it any way you want to. You can use any excuse you want to. You can justify your actions any way you want to. At the end of the day, it's this, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted with my job? Can he be trusted with my money? Can he be trusted with my kids? Can he be trusted with my relationships, my marriage? How about my education? Can God be trusted with my future? And if he can be trusted, then trust him. If you don't think he can be trusted, then next week don't come hang out with us. Go to Bojangles and read the paper. I mean, why do you want to waste your time here? What's the point of playing the game? Why even bother to be religious if you're not going to actually pursue a relationship with God? So what is it you're holding on to, you know? What area of your life are you just refusing to trust God? You know what the Bible says, but yeah, I'm just not so sure. You gotta understand it's a barrier between you and God. Let me tell you something. He doesn't want your money. He has plenty of money. 
He doesn't want your stuff. He has better stuff. He doesn't want your relationships. He's got the most perfect relationship in the world with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want your future. His is pretty secure. He just wants you. And this will be, I'm telling you, this is part of the epic story. This will be the point of conflict between you and God until you're ready to say, hmm, God, this is scaring the bejeebies out of me. But I'm going to trust you. God, this is scaring me to death because I can't see and control how it's going to turn out. But I'm going to do life your way. Now, let me, let me tell you what will happen when you get there, when you do that. When you finally trust God with a thing that you've been holding on to, what happens is your faith, it intersects with his faithfulness. And, and you'll, I tell you, you'll just worship him because of all of a sudden how real he will become in your life. So my big question is, what are you holding on to that's prohibiting intimacy between you and God? I'm telling you, that's, where there's the, that's why there's the lack of contentment. That's why there's the lack of satisfaction in your life. That's why there's no peace. Here's the question. Is God trustworthy? Seems kind of fundamental, doesn't it? Is God trustworthy? Let me give you one more principle. You might want to tuck this one away. You serve a wonderful God who does not keep good things from his children. If God has a reason for saying, that's off limits, don't do that, stay away from that, it's not because he's trying to protect you from something good. It's not because he's trying to hold out. Trust me, God knows you go there, hmm, you're not going to be happy. God does, you serve a wonderful God who does not keep good things from his children. You can trust him. He's not holding out on you. This is how Solomon put it in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What's your own understanding? Yeah, but if I do this, what? What if? What's gonna, how's this going to play out, right? Ooh. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, it means in every area, every aspect of your life, submit to him, acknowledge him. It means trust him. Look at this, and he will make your path straight. You know what that means? It means if you will put God first and trust him with every area of your life, he will get involved in the pathways of your life and he will get you where you want to go. And you'll find joy and you'll find happiness. You'll find contentment. You'll find satisfaction. You know what he'll do? He'll plug the hole in your soul. Would you bow with me? So here's the big question. What are you holding on to? What's that area in your life where you're not trusting God? He will not give up on an intimate relationship with you. He will pursue and pursue and pursue. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Moses when God was trying to get him to be the deliverer and Moses had every argument in the world and he didn't want to trust God and he didn't want to do life God's way and Finally, one day, there's that classic conversation where Moses is standing there, and God says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And Moses was like, a staff. 
But it wasn't just a staff. I mean, Moses was a shepherd. It was his connection to life. He, this is what he used to keep wild animals away from the sheep and to keep the sheep in line. And when he was walking on rocky terrain, it helped him keep his body. It was his identity. And God said, yeah, throw it down. And I bet you Moses had every reason in the world why he couldn't release it. But finally he threw it down. And remember, it turned into a snake. And God said, now pick it up. And Moses picked it up by the tail, and it turned back into a staff. And if what's interesting is the staff that God said throw down became the staff that Moses used to do great things with. He got water out of a rock. He held it out, and the Red Sea parted, and the people walked across on dry land. But it didn't happen until he was ready to release it. The very thing you may throw down that you think you have to protect may be the very thing that God allows you to use for his glory. But you've got to trust him with it first. The issue wasn't the staff. The issue was, Moses, are you going to trust me? What are you holding on to? We don't, we don't do stuff like this a lot. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes we need a reminder. Sometimes we need to drive a stake in the ground. Because what happens is, Often we say, God, we're going to make this decision. We're going to trust you, but we're not even out of the parking lot. And Satan's whispering, yeah, but you're going to miss out. Yeah, you go with the God plan, you're going to miss out. And we don't carry through. And sometimes we need to just have a reminder, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, God. I, I, I distinctly remember trusting you with that. So I'm just going to ask you to be bold enough right now. You don't have to do this. People, people's heads are bowed. They're not looking around. If you, would, if you would be willing to say, man, yeah, there's an area in my life where I've been holding out on God, but, but I'm making the decision right now to trust him. Whatever campus you're at, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to drive a stake in the ground, and I'm going to ask you just to stand up, and I want to pray for you. I'm driving the stake in the ground. God, no longer am I going to hold on to it. I'm going to trust you. could be your career. Could be your finances, could be a relationship, could be a child. <laughs> God, for some of us, this is a reminder. For some of us, it's a little bit threatening. But deep down in all of our hearts, we, we, we know it's true. We know that if there's areas where we can't trust you, there's no way we can expect to have an intimate relationship with you. And so God, out of love for us, not because you're a mean old God, you, you just will not leave it alone until we finally get to the point where we say, yeah, take that too. God, it's, it's kind of like our houses are a life. And, and, and our life is a house, and you're like, I, I need the whole house. And we're like, well, I'll tell you what, God, I'll, I'll give you the first floor, but I need that second floor. God, you're like, yeah, I need the second floor too. All right, God, I, I guess that's reasonable. You're going to have the second floor, but you can't have the master bedroom because I really need that. I, I'm not sure I trust you with that yet. And God, you're like, yeah, I need, I need that master bedroom too. All right, all, right, all right, you can have it, but you can't have the closet. Well, I need the closet. Well, you can't have the top shelf in the closet. Yeah, I need that too. God, you have everything. It's all yours. 
except I got this one little box on the corner of the top shelf in the closet. If you just let me hang on to that, and God, you're like, nah. I need you to trust me with that too. I need the whole house. I need your whole life. God, I pray that you'll just do something in all of our hearts that will just take us to a different level of faith and trust and intimacy with you. And I pray right now for those who are standing, you will prove your faithfulness and your trustworthiness. It may not be today. It may not be by Wednesday. But you will remind them that you're a good God and you withhold nothing good from them. And Father, may you fill up that emptiness and discontentment and lack of satisfaction and the lack of peace in their life. I pray that on their behalf and I pray it in your holy name. Amen.